Welcome to the Clean Simple Free podcast, a place to discuss how clean spaces make for a more simple way of life, and when your life is simplified, your mind will feel free. I'm your host, Ashley Alexia Fox, and this is episode one, Origins. Minimalism has become a buzzword that's been popularized in recent years. You're probably at least vaguely familiar with what a minimalist lifestyle looks like. Minimalism is all around us. You may have seen real-life examples of minimalism in architectural structures. It's also an art movement characterized by sleek designs and geometric shapes. You might even be designing a website layout, and you might choose a template with a crisp, simple background that's called minimal. But what we're discussing is a philosophy of living a life with less. It's reframing your thinking from a consumeristic mindset to focus on what you actually want to do in life rather than what you have. Chances are, your ideal life does not consist of you spending your days on menial household tasks like cleaning, dusting, ironing, and generally feeling anchored to your possessions. A minimalist lifestyle is all about freeing yourself up from physical burdens so that you can live the life that you want to choose. Now, minimalism is by no means a new concept. In fact, there's a little bit of debate on when exactly the minimalist lifestyle first began. But we can even trace minimalism back through different cultures and religions, and we can see that there are some roots in Buddhism. Buddhists, for example, embrace the giving up of their physical objects in pursuit of a higher purpose or a higher calling. In more recent years, Leo Babauta from Zen Habits launched his blog in 2007, and then a year later he released his first book, The Power of Less. And a few years later, the minimalists came onto the scene around 2010, two gentlemen by the name of Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. They have a documentary out called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. And lately, in more recent years, Marie Kondo has really been blowing up the scene. I think it's because she launched her Netflix series in January of this year, But she wrote a book in 2011 called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. She has a patented method called the KonMari method of only keeping what sparks joy. Rather than focusing on what you should get rid of, she focuses on only keeping the things that bring you joy and make you really happy, and everything else is just subpar if it falls below the standard of really bringing you joy then it's something you should let go of. That mindset and that methodology really helped me change from just an organized person into pursuing a minimalist lifestyle. There's a big misconception that a lot of people have about the minimalist lifestyle that I'd like to shut down right now. Minimalism is not about cutting your possessions down to a certain number of items. It's not about living with 100 items or less, or fitting all your possessions into a single suitcase. Unless that's the life that you want to pursue, that is not a requirement to be minimal. This lifestyle is about stopping the cycle of retail therapy. Stop buying items in bulk just because they're on sale. It's about thinking about what you need, evaluating what you already have. That is what minimalism is all about. Anyone can be a minimalist. If I can get a single point across in this entire podcast, it's that anyone can be a minimalist. 
You don't need your home to look like the showroom of a furniture store. You don't need to just have a black and white aesthetic with a single plant in the corner. There are no rules to properly look like a minimalist other than the arbitrary rules that you place upon yourself. There is a part of me that really admires the stereotypical minimalist aesthetic. It's like flipping through a beautiful magazine. But the truth is, I like decorating my home with color. I love tapestries and bohemian prints and artwork, and my significant other lived in Europe for five years. He has artifacts from Budapest, he has kabuki masks and sumie paintings from China and Japan, he has all sorts of cool things, and all of these objects that we have tell a story of our life, our character, and our personalities to anyone who walks through our front door. If you have been pursuing or considering a minimalist lifestyle, it doesn't mean you have to get rid of everything non-essential. If it adds value and beauty to your life, then keep it. If you love books, for example, and have a book collection, enjoy your full bookshelves. The purpose of minimalism is not to live like a monk with as few possessions as possible, but it's about living your fullest potential, not letting your possessions control you. In America, we are so consumer-based. I mean, I know many of us have clothing with the tags still attached hanging up in our closet. I know a lot of us get gifts for the holidays that we never use. And it's just about reshaping the way that you view your possessions. I think it's important to point out that organizing is a learned skill. Some of us are more innately or naturally organized than others. Just like there are messy people and there are clean freaks, there's a huge spectrum there. But it is a skill that can be fine-tuned or learned. I personally, to give a little bit of my origins and my background, I have always loved organizing. As a little kid, around four or five years old, I had a toy chest that had all of these different dividers in them, and I would organize my toys by category. I'd put my Barbie dolls in one section and my dinosaurs in another, and it's a little bit weird for a kid of that age to be sorting their toys like that, but it just made sense to me categorically to be able to say, oh, I want to play with my trains. I'm going to pull them out of the train section. So that's how I was as a kid. And then as I got a little bit older, my mom would encourage me and my two siblings to declutter on a regular basis, especially around the holidays when she knew we were getting new gifts like our birthdays or especially Christmas. Um, our mom would come into our rooms and be like, hey, Santa Claus is coming. Is there any stuff that you want to get rid of to make room for your new toys? And me and my two siblings would go into our rooms and get rid of any toys that we didn't play with or books or clothes that we didn't use. And we would make a little stack in the hallway. And I remember thinking, wow, this is cool. I'd see one or two items pile up into a larger pile that my mom would later take to charity and being like, oh, this is so cool. We're never going to have to pick this stuff up again. And we have all this extra room for our new stuff. And so I was really lucky to have a mom that encouraged and taught us how to declutter. As I got a little bit older, into my adolescence, like my teen years, I would just do that as part of my regular cleaning routine. Part of cleaning our rooms just involved us doing a clean sweep and going through to see if there was anything we wanted to get rid of. So that was a learned habit for sure. 
since we were involved in the process, my mom was really influential in teaching me and my siblings how to get rid of things on our own. I think that's really important. I am not a parent, but I think that's really important whether you're talking about your significant other or kids or roommates. If you're trying to get someone on board with minimalism or decluttering, it's important to involve them in the process and not do that stuff against their will. I don't know if anybody has seen or remembers Toy Story 2. Full disclosure, I'm a huge Disney nerd. (laughs) But um, in Toy Story 2, Andy is off at summer camp and his mom comes into his room and she just starts getting rid of stuff all over his room. She gets rid of some board games and some other junk and this becomes a huge plot point. There's a squeaky toy whose squeaker is broken and she takes him and just throws him out into a yard sale and the toys have to go rescue him. So my mom never did anything like that. She never snuck into our rooms or covertly took things and donated them without our permission or consent. So since we had full control over what we could keep and what we could get rid of, we were taught to make decisions on our own. So flash forward a few years later, and when I was 18, my sister and I got an apartment together. She is very clean, but she is not organized. She's also an excellent cook. She can throw ingredients into a pot or a pan and they turn out amazing, whereas I have to follow a recipe. So we all have our strengths and weaknesses. But about once a month, she would be like, Ashley, oh my gosh, I need help cleaning my closet. And I would gladly go in there and I'd help her organize her closet. Not only would I hang things up and help her sort things that needed to be washed, but I'd be like, oh my god, sis, I know you love these shoes, but let's go shopping tonight because these are looking really beat up and let's buy you some new black heels or whatever it would be. And I really enjoyed helping her out with that and I know she appreciated the effort that I put into it. So I kept up with this habit of decluttering and keeping an out with the old, in with the new mindset through my adolescence and into my early 20s. Um, In my early 20s, I met my significant other. This was seven years ago, and we moved in together pretty quickly after we started dating. And whenever you couple up with someone, or if you have a kid or kids, your possessions are going to double, triple, or quadruple in size. My partner's career at the time involved him moving around a lot, So every 10 to 12 months over the last seven years, we'd move to a new city. And I will tell you, nothing gets you on board with decluttering like moving does. You have to consider the movers. You have to consider everything you're going to unpack in your new place. You have to think about buying boxes and wrapping everything with bubble wrap. And each individual thing you have to label. I mean, it is such a pain in the butt. And there have been so many bags and so many boxes taken to charity. So much furniture has been hauled off or given away. And it was kind of funny because we were living in an apartment that was 900 square feet. And then two moves later, we moved to a 600 square foot apartment. So we're living in this apartment that's 300 square feet smaller And my partner keeps asking me, baby, are you sure about the size of this place? And I'm like, yeah, it's 600 square feet. And he's like, it just feels like our apartment that we had in such and such city. And he was like, how much was the square footage there? And I was like, 900. And he's like, how much is it here again? I was like, 600. 
And he's like, why does it feel like the same size? And I told him, I was like, do you remember all of those boxes and all of those bags we got rid of? Do you remember that desk and that those armchairs that we let go of? And he was like, oh yeah. But it was just funny to me because just by decluttering the things that we no longer needed, we made a smaller apartment feel like the same size as a larger apartment. I have also been part of the tiny house movement. If you don't know what that is, it's when someone lives in a really small space. Sometimes people take it to the extreme and they'll live in these awesome and really creatively designed 300 square foot spaces. Sometimes they'll have wheels so that they can take their tiny house wherever they want to live. But we lived in a 500 square foot house. It was two humans, three cats, and a 30 pound dog. And it was surprisingly doable. I mean, there were times where I would be digging around in the fridge and he would be chopping vegetables on the counter and it would be like, oh my gosh, one of us has to leave the kitchen right now because I feel like we're going to just keep bumping into each other. So there was a little bit of, you know, there were a few pitfalls that we had to navigate. There was not much storage. We had a small closet and maybe two or three cabinets. So we had to get real creative with like vertical storage solutions. But beyond that, it was something that I would definitely do again. So with moving around so much, something I've learned is that your space is never going to feel bigger than when there's nothing in it. So the more you add to your space, the smaller it's going to feel. And conversely, the less you have in your space, the larger it's going to feel. So that's something that I've kept in mind through each of our moves and I've slowly downscaled. And there's still stuff that I'm sure I can be like, why in the world do I still even have this? It's always going to be a process and a journey. And that's just something that's helped me through my life in the past several years. And it's something to consider if you're moving to a new space or if you're evaluating your current space. I wish I could say I remember the exact moment that I had the switch flip and say, wow, I want to go pursue a minimalist lifestyle, but I can't. It was just kind of more of a gradual process. I remember I would look at my pretty organizers and my containers that had labels from my label maker on them, and everything was neat and tidy, but sometimes I would forget what was even in the boxes. I'd look at my collection of jewelry and my jewelry holders in the bathroom, and I would be like, I don't use this stuff. I've never worn this necklace. So I made an effort to declutter further. I started adapting minimalist thinking. I listened to TED Talks by some of the people that I mentioned earlier in this episode. And once I finally did adapt a minimalist lifestyle, five months later, I released a three-minute YouTube video in mid-2014, and it went from there. And that's how Clean Simple Free was born. I have decluttered so much in these past five years. I can honestly say that I enjoy and use the vast majority of things that I own instead of just shoving them into boxes or forgotten cabinets, and I've eliminated certain purchases from my life. I have lowered my stress level by dropping menial tasks. I've made time to seriously pursue painting, which is a passion of mine, and my life has been so enriched by my minimalist journey. And it really is a journey. It's never going to be perfect because things will always wear out. Things are going to need replacing and sometimes you just get sick of old things. It is a little bit scary to start. 
It can be overwhelming, but this podcast is a tool to help teach and guide you. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to go over everything from basic minimalism terminology to more advanced psychological concepts and go through room by room, category by category, and help you to live your best life possible because pursuing a minimalist lifestyle can really enrich your days so that you're unencumbered by clutter and that you free up your time and you just enjoy your life. I hope you enjoyed listening to the origins of my minimalist journey and that you'll be inspired to pursue or continue a journey of your own. If you enjoy this podcast, please hit subscribe and give it a five-star rating and tune in next week for a new episode. I wish you all a peaceful and productive week.